0: You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Dave Rubenstein, editor in chief of SD Times.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What the Dev, the SD Times podcast. I'm Dave Rubenstein, editor in chief of SD Times. With me today is Derek Holt. He's the CEO of uh, Digital AI, they're a company that's uh, focused on uh, DevSecOps. One of the things that uh, Derek is talking about uh, these days is obviously AI-powered software development and some of the challenges that that creates, uh, certainly in terms of uh, messy code, having a lot of code, churn, sprawl, things like that. So, uh, Derek, welcome uh, to the program. Dave, uh, thanks for having us
0: and uh, and excited for the uh, the conversation.
1: Yeah, it's uh, an important one. I think a lot of people are experimenting now with AI-powered development and trying to see where the hallucinations are or what actually is being generated and and dealing with all those kinds of issues. So uh, I know you talk about uh, code quality in the light of this ever-increasing speed of getting code developed, you know, where AI is going to take that to a whole new level with these co-pilots and things, uh, which creates a lot of uh, opportunity for things to go wrong. So uh, you know, I'd like to hear uh, you know, how you uh, talk about this uh, in your go-to-market thing and how it kind of plays into your uh, strategy.
0: Yeah, absolutely i i mean obviously it's a, a really really dynamic time across a lot of industries i think um there's probably no more obvious set of use cases around how we're going to leverage some of the powers of the of, of generative ai and large language models et cetera. In the discipline of building and testing and delivering, you know, great software. Um, interesting. I always look at the history of this, right? I, I, I'll date myself here, but I learned to code and, in Vi, which is, for all intents and purposes, a text editor. It didn't give the developer, frankly, much help, right? I still had to go look at what methods were on 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 what um, uh, what different files, and and ultimately that gave way to IDEs and code assist and being able to hit kind of Control Tab and and or, or Command uh, Space, I should say, and get a, a, a deeper view. Of, of um, how quickly and efficiently you could develop code. Books gave way to Stack Overflow. And now all of this has come together and we've now got this ability to kind of supercharge, really. Um, and I think Copilot is such a great word. It reminds me of pair programming, right? Like we literally have a virtual assistant that, that can help us. At the same time, I think it is very early days. And what we're seeing, and there's great studies that are coming out that say, yes. You can write a lot more code, however, you're going to have a lot more code churn. You're going to have a lot more code sprawl. You're going to have potentially quality and security and and, uh, compliance challenges as well. So like many things in life, nothing's free. We're going to get a lot of benefits here, but but we really do believe that it is ultimately going to give way to what is a a new DevSecOps platform. In some ways, as we look at it... Um, It is going to take a lot of the things that the organizations that were very forward around adopting automation around adopting orchestration, around adopting um, you know, more DevSecOps best practices, they are going to be most well-suited to take advantage of this pending uh, productivity game. Those that still have a lot of scripts running around, a lot of manual tasks, and their and the release process is, is on a whiteboard, not automated in tools, they're going to struggle because they're going to generate a tremendous amount of code, and that's not always a good thing.
1: Well, that's true. So, I mean, you know, we've known for a while that a lot of organizations see QA and test as a drag on delivery, uh, where, uh, you know, it used to be the last, you know, uh, line of defense before you release something into code, and now organizations like, well, no, that's taking too long, we need to move more quickly. So this problem gets exacerbated by AI producing the code, but I'm assuming then also organizations will start using AI in their QA practices in a way to try to keep pace. Is that uh, what yeah, you're
0: saying? It's, a, it's exactly right. And and, and I think, I, I don't know if there's a debate anymore. Like, the more you automate testing, the better, right? And And certainly there was always a concern that would slow down if we had to lob it over the wall to a manual testing organization and it would take a few more weeks for sure um, the, those were challenges uh, a, along the way but but clearly exactly what you described the more automated testing I also think testing is getting a bit smarter um, we are the the old views of test coverage as sort of a blanket one-size-fit- all across the entire application has given way to sort of data infused testing where we're leveraging user telemetry to decide where we should be spending our time testing and 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 where we 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 might be okay with a little bit less uh, test coverage. But no doubt about it, we see sort of AI playing three roles in this. One is around the generation of code, right? There's gonna be the co-pilot world that we already just touched on. Number two is a lot of these workflows within software development and delivery are gonna be aided by by AI. And we have a great example, we have an automated testing capability. We introduced last year, the ability to go from natural language to test scripts. And the idea there was often the reason folks will say they haven't been able to automate is we don't have enough engineers to to write all the the scripts that are needed to build out a substantive test apparatus. Well, great news. You now can just use natural language and we can generate that code for you. And so you can actually have what I would describe as like citizen testers, right? We've we've talked about citizen developers back in the the low code, no code uh, era. Uh, But the reality is we can have citizen testers where folks can just use natural language, say open the app, do this, do that, and we'll generate the test apparatus. So making it easier to build uh, more and more testing. And then the third one, which Touched on already is how do we use all the uh, data exhaust that comes off of the business process of all of these pieces of building software, and how do we use that to help decision making and prioritization and those sorts of things? But there's no doubt what you highlighted is true. We're going to generate more code, ideally, those. The training data, and it's an interesting, probably separate podcast episode around how, um, for all intents and purposes, these early versions of copilots are trained on huge code bases with both good developers and bad developers. And so you get sort of a medium to slightly leftian developer out of it. As the models mature, we're going to be able to just focus on the best code. And I think that will help reduce some of the the sprawl. But But ultimately, no doubt, we need it to help generate more. We're going to need it to test more. We're going to need it to secure more. And it goes on and on from there.
1: Right. What about, uh, you know, the issue that people have with AI perhaps grabbing some code that, you know, needed to be licensed or was proprietary uh, and, uh, you know, how are are organizations kind of dealing with that? Doesn't that slow down the whole process where they then have to go through the AI generated code to make sure that uh, we're not violating any licenses or anything else? I think that's right. I I I mean, I think it's one step back, you know, right. It it might look, I mean,
0: David, it it may actually be the biggest challenge and I'm not a lawyer, but clearly there's a lot of lawyers that are involved trying to figure all of this out and, and, you know, what's fair use and what's not fair use. And again, I'm not an expert on that, so I I won't uh, opine on it. But One of the things that that, um, I do believe you're going to see, and this goes back to, like, what the training data is, we spend all our time with large enterprises. My belief is large enterprises have enough of a code base that they clearly own that code base to be able to train these models on. So I I think you're going to see, as was even with the web, right, you're just going to see an evolution towards um, some of the, some of what are the, the, ultimately, the data sources, and and I think that stuff will ultimately get sorted out. But but you bring up a, a, a separate point here, which I think is important, um, just like when we started using open source or third-party componentry, not just to generate the the, the the co-pilots, but literally just using them, we had to add some key components to our DevSecOps process, right? There's a great code scanning tools out there that will look and make sure we are compliant, that will look and make sure we are secure across a bunch of different dimensions. And so it will be interesting. We've been spending a lot of time is like, what what is the next version of the software development lifecycle in a world where where copilots exist. And what we're finding is some roles are going to go away. Some roles are going to have even more importance than they've had before, um, and other new roles will emerge. And this happens with most kind of, you know, revolutions, if you will, right? Um, uh, Some things stay the same, some things go away, and some things uh, emerge. And I do think this space that you touched on um, around how do we start to make sure that we're being compliant, and whether you do that after the code's written, which is really hard, we've had a hard time figuring out how you decipher between human, written, generated and, as interestingly, copy and paste the code, which people have been copying and pasting code for a long, long time, people just didn't pay attention to it, um, the the notion may be you got to govern on the front end. And this is interesting where you start to intersect with some of the trends around a developer experience, not around just the, how do I make it easier to get somebody started, but how do I make sure they get started in the right way, in a compliant way? And I think that's going to be an interesting uh, topic that evolves as part of this as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh It was interesting earlier on you had mentioned pair programming how it almost yeah, yeah. Uh, it seems like that's a part of uh you know good uh, practices. What about yeah, peer yeah. review i mean how does how does a human you know be a peer to a copilot and or vice versa and uh you know how does that work yeah look i I think actually that's probably in my
0: experience how it's being used mostly today right and you think about your own experience, you go ask. This happens to me on occasion. I'm struggling to get started with some writing. I go ask ChatGPT to give me some bit foundational. I don't copy and paste it, but I'll look at it as like a way to get inspired. I think you're seeing some of that um, uh, already with the way that the copilots are being used. And I think actually a lot of developers who are using the copilots are becoming editors. Right. If you want to, you know, kind of beat up that analogy, and and um, I, you know, I think it will continue to, to to evolve that way. I think the the role of the developer will continue to drive forward. And and this is probably a little bit of a bad analogy, but like to go back to the evolutions of software development and, and delivery. Um, number one, as an engineering discipline, we are very young compared to industrial engineering or civil engineering, or other. So we're still working through some of those best practices. Number two. Um, if you think about even the evolution of development languages, right? There was a point when everybody was writing assembly and then next thing you know, sort of more um, uh, object oriented languages come out and, and, the folks that were really good at assembly said, "Oh, you can't do those object-oriented. You're never going to be able to control it the way you want to control it." And we evolve, and evolve, and evolve. And and I think this will, in some ways, almost create one more level of disintermediation between the 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 binaries, frankly, and and how we instruct the computers to 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 create uh, to create capability. So I think folks are going to have to get really good. Still be really good at writing code, but they're going to have to be really good at um, working with in partnership with some of these these smart assistants.
1: Right. Right, right. So uh, again, I just want to circle back to this whole notion of you know faster time to market, you know the yeah, speed yeah. that companies want to move at, uh, and they're using AI to generate all this code, what have you. But again, it seems to be that quality bit and making sure that you're in compliance with the code you're using and and testing it and making sure it's going to be secure and 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 things like that. I mean, it almost it it has to be by it by its nature a drag on delivery. Even if you yeah, want to
0: and- the steps. I think, I think, I think, I mean, there's no doubt. And again, you use the, the, the train analogy. There are, and I won't name the cities, but there were cities that had invested in the bullet train, but had forgotten to build the new tracks, or at least were behind on building the new tracks. And so guess what? The bullet train went the exact same speed as the old train, because that's what the tracks were ready for. So I think regardless of where somebody's at in terms of the adoption curve, right? And we do see just transparently, we got we got some customers, and remember, we're mostly enterprise, large, highly regulated, often. So it, they're probably a little bit, rightfully so, more hesitant than maybe a you know a, a one-off startup that that has a little bit more of a move fast and break things mentality, right? The um, uh, the adoption, regardless of you're doing it now or 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 you want to do it in a year. Putting those tracks is going to be good for you, whether it's all human-generated code or it's automated code. So automating tests, automating security, pre-production, post-production, all of those things I think are, by definition, just really smart things to do. But you you hit on another point, and I think this is very likely. I'll, I'll either be... Uh, I hate making predictions because they're very binary outcomes. You're either very wrong or you're, or you're very right. And when you're very right, that people tend to dismiss it anyway. But I, I think there is an opportunity right now where you are going to see a large amount of code being generated. And it's not just a quality and security issue. It's the maintainability and just general sprawl of these applications. So it's, I was thinking about this the other day and we we just touched on this developer experience notion. I love the fact that we are creating, we have some tools in this space where you can go self service, whether using our tools or third party tools. I click a button and say, I'm working on this team. We're developing, you know, a a container based. X, Y, Z, and it automatically provisions the tool chain, right? And then we talk about how to quickly can we get a, a developer up and running. But what's lost in that is the, the fact that if the code is sprawled, if it's spaghetti code, if it's not well formed, it's just as hard as for the developer to get up and running and understanding what's going on and be productive as having tools that work together right so the importance of having maintainable well-structured code that's readable that's understandable is really really important and i I do worry that that if you just sort of Go wild west with these copilots. You're going to end up with just huge amounts of code um, that maybe isn't giving the value that that maybe you, you, you hope for. So I'm sure we will refine it over the over time. But there's no doubt. I think you're going to see a resurgence in discussions around quality, around security, around code churn, around code sprawl. All of the topics that have come and gone. It's all going to be hit with a microscope as we as we supercharge with these
1: copilots. It's uh, it's a wild time, isn't it? <laughs> it is.
0: Although this is a good reason to get up in the morning, candidly, from my perspective. And I think it's, um, I do think it's fair, right? I've been lucky enough. I lived through the sort of transition from waterfall to agile. And then obviously mobile came and cloud came and DevOps came to automate it all. It, it, we've been through a few of these waves. This one feels a little unique, although I've always found that uh uh, revolutions tend to happen more evolutionarily than we give them credit for, right? So and when you zoom out, it becomes a little bit less daunting. But um no, I think it's a dynamic time. And I, I think we'll look back at the you know the 2020s, if you will, as 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 a real critical inflection point um in in the in the world of kind of digitizing, you know, everything in many yeah. ways.
1: Absolutely. Great. Derek Holt, CEO at Digital AI, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Great talk. Thanks, David.
0: Awesome. Great to see you.
1: To all our listeners, thanks for tuning in as always. Once again, I'm Dave Rubenstein, editor-in-chief of SD Times. So long for now.